It's good to be with you this morning, and we're going to look in Genesis chapter 15 this morning. Um, look, kind of like Joey said, a little bit of the backstory. Our church has been going through the life of Abraham, and I'm going to kind of catch you up to Genesis 15, and today we're going to talk about this one thing, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? You want people you love to be able to be trusted. You want people you love, heroes, to be able to tell you the truth. We value truth in my family. We as God's people value truth. One of the things that I asked my family to do, I asked my wife and my daughter, now that my daughter's gone, I asked my oldest son to help me because I, I don't match things well. So I asked them, does this look all right? And I get to know a lot. Last week, I left early. Nobody was awake. And, uh, and I saw my son come into our second service. And Nate, do I look all right? And he goes, Dad, you look like the, fat, uh, the white fat Albert. I had this on. Um, and I just said, first, fat Albert uh, wore a red sweater. And, and second, don't make me put down my donuts, son. We want people that we love to be able to trust. And Abraham, or Abram as he is now, is wondering, can he trust God? Though God has already done amazing things in his life, Abram's story starts in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis 12, God calls him and tells him, go forth or go out from your country, your family, and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make your name great, and I will bless you, and you're going to be a blessing. And those who bless you, I will bless, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families or nations or tribes or peoples of the earth will be blessed. And so Abram goes out, not knowing where he is going. God calls him to believe, to trust, to step out before he knows. And we see that over and over and over in Abram, who will become Abraham's life. So it starts really good, and Abram worships the Lord. He builds altars in Genesis 12, but then there's a famine. In the last half of the chapter of Genesis 12, there's a famine, and Abram takes his wife, Sarai, down to Egypt, and as they go down to Egypt, he says, I've got a great idea as we trust God together. You tell the Egyptians you're my sister, not my wife, so they'll give us food, and they won't kill me. God has promised through Abram's seed that all the families of the earth will be blessed. And what happens is that the Egyptians see that Sarah is beautiful, and then the Pharaoh sees that Sarah is beautiful. And he takes her into his harem. And at this moment, Abram can negotiate with the Egyptians, but you don't negotiate with Pharaoh, he's king. So there's this threatening that the child of promise will be cut off. It's almost like a repeat of Genesis 3. The serpent's head will be bruised by a child. The serpent will bruise that child's heel. The child will, will bruise his head. A child of promise is coming. And it's almost like the serpent king is going to cut off the child of promise. But God delivers them. He brings plagues on the king of Egypt. It's a story that sounds kind of familiar if you continue to read the Bible. And then Genesis 13, we see these ups and downs of trust and doubt and questions and fear. And then we get to Genesis 15. Let's read in Genesis 15. After these things, these things are, Abram has a meal with Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, the king of peace. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision 
Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. He's got this servant named Eliezer. He says, he's going to be my heir. If the servant becomes the heir, the line is cut off. Abram will no longer be the father of many nations, because then Eliezer's children will be heirs of Eliezer. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram has excelled in farming. He's got livestock. He's got a lot of money that he took with him as he left Egypt. But he doesn't have a child. He doesn't have a child. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Can Abram believe God? Can Abram believe God? Well, God begins this passage by saying three things to Abraham. First, fear not, do not be afraid. God's called Abram out. He doesn't know how this is going to work. He's old. His wife is old. They are too old to have children. Some of you in the room are too old to have children. And when I say you're too old to have children, you just say, Amen. Right? Abraham and Sarai, or Abram and Sarai, they don't have any children. They're too old. And a child, and specifically a son in the culture they're in, is a sign of blessing and barrenness, is a a sign of a curse from God or from the God. But one of the beautiful things about the story of God and His people is that He often works out of barrenness. He often works when there is no way humanly possible that these things can happen. And He says to Abram, fear not, fear not, I am your shield. He's speaking covenant language to Abram as we will see in just a moment. I'm your shield. I'm your protector. I am looking out for you. I'm the God who made the heavens. I'm the one who called you out. I'm the one who brought you out. I'm your shield and your very great reward. Your translation might say, and your reward will be great. Literally, in the Hebrew, it's your very great reward. I am your very great reward. And that really, really matters. The reason that matters in my mind is because Hebrews 11.6 says this. It says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that God is or God exists. And God is the rewarder of those who seek Him. He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. So there is reward in seeking God. But there is a dangerous thing that happens in the church, and it's when we confuse what this reward is. There are churches in my town, churches in your town, churches all over our nation and in many nations that will use this passage and say that the reward of seeking God is always health. It's always wealth. If you just believe, everything will go Okay, 
But we know that's not always the story of God's people. Is God always with us? Is He always upholding us with His righteous right hand? He never leaves us nor forsakes us. That's true. But if you look at the life of Abraham, if you look at the life of Joseph, whom you've been studying, if you look at the life of Jesus, the life of Paul, many times faithfulness does not equal health or financial gain. But God is Abram's reward. This is the reward that you get to know me. That you get to be called my friend. I'm the God who made the stars and the heaven. And I will be your great reward. But Abram can't see it. He can't see it. I know that you called me out from my father's house. I know that you delivered me from Egypt. But I have no heir. God, can I actually trust you? Do you know how old I am, God? I know you created me, numbered my days, but do you understand how this works, God? Eliezer of Damascus, he's going to be my heir. My servant will. I won't have a son. But God, as he does, just continues to speak truth to Abram. He says, your very own son shall be your heir. In verse 4, this man will not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. He is the God who keeps his promises. He is the God who accomplishes his purposes. And so then he takes him outside and has him look at the stars in the sky. Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. Abraham is saying, God, it's too late. You can't actually give me a biological son. And God is saying to Abraham, I'm not just going to give you sons. Your offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. I'll go far beyond what you could ask or imagine. And then something happens. He believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. God awakens something in Abram, and he believes him. And he believes him, and it's counted to him as righteousness. It's not a righteousness that comes from inside Abram. It's not something that he's done. It's not by law, as we will see. Abram believed God. It's in this moment that he sees, his eyes are open to this reality that God can be trusted. And it's credited to him as righteousness. I have a daughter and four sons, as Joey mentioned. And with our our last three sons, we've put them in these swimming lessons called ISR. And these swimming lessons, you take them for about four weeks. Kids take them for four weeks. And it's five days a week, ten minute lessons. And they are awful. They're just horrible and what happens is that there's a lady in a pool water's about chest deep for her she takes the kids you put them in the pool she takes them and just kind of throws them away from her a little bit and lets them go underwater and waits a bit and then picks them up and they start screaming just going crazy over and over and she just does that over and over and eventually they start kicking and eventually they start paddling but they're just screaming they hate it they don't look forward to it and you're taking your kid you get out of the car and you can hear the kid in line in front of you screaming and I'm just looking down at my son Mac and he's about two and a half years old going oh it's going to be so much fun today and their kids just yelling clawing there's moms and dads bleeding on their legs I mean it is horrible 
And you just do it over and over and over. And in the process, kids learn how to swim. Well, about three days into Max, third week, his second year doing this, something clicked. He's crying in the car. He's crying as we're watching and as we're walking. I looked down at him and I said, buddy, you're going to be okay. And he looked up at me and he dried his eyes and he looked at the lady who gives the lessons neat there. She's got her hat, her shades on. And he runs to the pool and jumps and just cannonballs right next to her. And it's this beautiful moment as a dad. And I'm looking around going, see my kid? You see what I'm right? And the lady just rolls her eyes. She goes, oh, this is awful. And I, no, I thought this was the goal, right? <laughs> he's not crying anymore. And she said, yeah, but he, he trusts you and he knows he's going to be okay now. So all he's going to want to do is play. This is awful. It was awful for her. It was great for me. <laughs> See, something happens in Abram's life in this moment, and he believes what God is saying. Now, it's not going to be perfect. He's going to make lots of mistakes along the way. He's going to have moments of doubt and fear. But he believes God, and it's counted to him as righteousness. And we'll talk about why it's counted to him as righteousness in a moment. But it's counted to him as righteousness because of faith. This one moment, not through flesh and blood, not through the law, but by the grace of God, this is how faith comes. We're saved by grace through faith. We're told that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We're told in Ephesians 2 that it's by grace that we've been saved and it's through faith. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. Abram can't boast about his life. He can't brag about the life that he's living. It's, it's a life by faith. And we'll see that God is doing the work in him and through him. Acts 16.31, this is true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament. There's a jailer, a great earthquake occurs, Saul, or now Paul and Silas, they're there in the jail. Their chains are loose, but they say to the man, we're still here. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus. They don't give him a list, they don't take him to the Ten Commandments. But it's by faith that righteousness comes. So as soon as Abram believes God, then the Lord reminds Abram of who he is. You would think God counted it to him as righteousness, so he would say, now do this and this and this. But Abram believed God, God counted it to him as righteousness, and then he said, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. I'm the Lord your God. I've saved you, I've delivered you, and I'm going to give you this land to possess. And then Abram says, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? See, over and over in the life of Abram, who will become Abraham, there's this belief, but then there's this desire to know. Don't we live like that a lot? Some of you today, you're walking in uncertain times and you're seeking to trust the Lord, but you're going, I want to know how this is going to work out. I want to know how this is going to work out. You've told me I'm going to have a son. I don't have a son. How am I going to know? How am I going to know? He said to him, 
Bring me, verse 9, a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and cut them in half and laid them half over against each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So God calls for a sacrifice. You bring these animals to me and we'll make a sacrifice and I'll let you know how you're going to know. And then God walks through this covenant with Abraham. And what God is doing in this covenant is saying to Abraham or Abram, here's how you can know that you'll possess this. I'm going to enter in the covenant with you. I'm going to make a promise. And a covenant is this promise that will not break. And so he tells Abram to lay open these animal parts, to lay out these animals And they are laid along a path. And what would happen in ancient covenants is that the two men or women, the two people walking and entering into a covenant, they would walk together through these dead animal parts. And as they would walk together, what they would say to one another is, may what happens to these animals happen to me if I break this covenant. May what is happening to these animals happen to me if I break this covenant. And so, the Lord said to Abram, or rather in verse 12, as the sun was going down, behold, the deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So Abram goes into this deep sleep, and he's believing, but he's asking the Lord, how can I know? How can I know? How can I know? And this deep sleep falls on him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And there will be servants there. So he's pointing him generations forward to Joseph. And then what happens after Joseph dies? And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward... You shall come out, or they shall come out, rather, with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. So in a covenant, here's what would typically happen. And we can see this playing out, some in Genesis 14, some in Genesis 15, some in Genesis 17. In the covenant, what would happen is that there would be a promise of provision or a promise of possessions. I will be your shield and your great reward. There would be this exchange of weapons. Well, Abram doesn't have anything to give God and God doesn't need a weapon from Abram. He's God Almighty. There would be an exchange of names. You get a new identity. That's coming for Abram. In Genesis chapter 17, he will be renamed Abraham. Abram meaning exalted father. Abraham meaning Father of many nations. And so every time Abraham walks outside in the morning to pick up his newspaper and a neighbor walks by, when they say Abraham, what they're saying is, Good morning, Father of many nations. When he goes in to have lunch with Sarah and she says, Hi, Abraham, how are you? She's saying, Hello, Father of many nations. There's this exchange of names that's going to happen. Then it's a covenant that's made in blood. May God do to me what he's done to these animals if I break this covenant. Then there would often be an exchanging of blessings and curses. We see that fully played out 
and the covenant of the law, when Moses sets before the people of Israel, I set before you today life and death, blessings and curses. There would be exchange of gifts, of memorial land sometimes. So God is giving Abram this land that he has promised. And then there would be in a covenant meal, the exchange of bread and wine like Abram had with Melchizedek. It says that Melchizedek brought bread and wine. This foreshadowing of another bread and wine that is coming. So that's this, what this covenant might have looked like. But Abram is in a deep sleep when it happens. He's in a deep sleep when it happens. And there's something I don't want us to miss here. Abram says, how am I going to know? I want to believe you, God, but how will I know that I'll possess this land? And then God tells Abram, here's something that you can know for certain. If you want to mark in your Bible, if you highlight it or write it down, look at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain. Know for certain. Here's what you can know for certain. Your offspring are going to be sojourners. Your offspring are going to be sojourners in a strange land. That land will be Egypt. Joseph will rise up to power in Egypt. But then as you continue studying in your Joseph stories, you'll find that a Pharaoh comes to power after Joseph dies who does not know Joseph. And then God's people are afflicted. They are servants for 400 years. And God will bring judgment on the nation they serve. The Pharaoh who will not let God's people go will be judged with afflictions, with plagues. And after that, they will leave with great possessions And he said, you'll be buried at a good old age and go to your fathers. But your people, they will come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And Abraham has got to be so confused because he thinks this story is about him. But the story of Abraham is really the story of God. God is a God who's going to keep His promise. He's a God who's going to accomplish His purpose. And He will do it through Abraham and his many, many offspring. Abraham, know for certain, I will keep my promise. And know for certain, I will accomplish my purpose. And it's actually not about you. It's about your offspring. In your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. See, God is a God who can be trusted because God is a God who knows what He is going to do. Isaiah 46 says it this way. Isaiah 46, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I shall accomplish all my purpose. Abram can trust God because God is going to do what God says he's going to do. He's a God who can be trusted if you Think about the concept of of God, of this being that created the heavens, this one who we put our hope in and our trust in. There are two things that you want this God to be, if nothing else, and he's so much more. You want him to be strong, powerful enough to do what he says that he can do. And you want him to be loving. You want him to be loving. And that's who Abram finds And this God who has called him out from his country, his kindred, and his father's house. And then there's this strange thing that happens in verse 17. 
when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot, a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I will give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Write these names down this time because I'm not going to say them again. The land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to give you all this land. Well, what in the world are a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch doing passing between these pieces? That sounds really, really strange to a 21st century Central Texan, right? I've never seen a flaming torch and a smoking fire pot floating in the air through dead animal pieces. But see, the people that are reading this, the people that are reading this as they're hearing these stories told of Abram and Isaac and Jacob, they're the same people who have seen the presence of God go with them as they left Egypt and a pillar of cloud by day, a smoking fire pot, and a pillar of fire by night, a flaming torch. It did not depart from before the people. This was God's protection His presence going with them. And so we see a foreshadowing of this in this smoking fire pot. This flaming torch. Then this promise of land. But the promise isn't about Abraham or particularly even the land. Abram is counted righteous. He will not live in perfection. He'll have many days of wavering. But God is going to be with him. God will not forsake him. God will accomplish his purpose Through him, he will keep his promise to him. And as this covenant happens, Abraham is, or Abram rather, is asleep. He's asleep. And the torch and the fire pot pass through the pieces. So normally in a covenant, both parties are saying, if I break this covenant, may it happen to me what has happened to these animals. But Abram's not walking through the animal pieces. The presence of God is going through the pieces and saying, if either of us breaks this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And Abram is going to break the covenant. He's going to disobey. And so will Isaac. And so will Jacob. And if we go to Moses, he will sin and disobey. And if we go to David, the man after God's own heart, he will sin. He will disobey. We as people are covenant breakers. And God says, if either of us breaks this covenant, let what happened to these animals happen to me. And many, many years later, many years later, God would send His Son who kept the covenant. He would send His Son to die in the place of covenant breakers like Abram and like Moses. Romans 
chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were created to give Him glory, to bear His image, to image Him through all the earth, and we all fail. We are cracked icons. We're broken. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a sacrifice of atonement, one to appease God's wrath by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins, the sins of Abram and others like Him. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Well, is this about Abram? Jesus' death? Is it about that covenant breaker? I I think Paul certainly thought it was. If you continue, if you continue reading about Abram, well, he asked in Romans 4 9, is a blessing then for the circumcised, for those who are part of God's elect people, the Jews, or is it for the uncircumcised, those who God has drawn from all the Gentile nations? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. See, Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6. Faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after. It was before. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so the righteousness would be counted to them as well. In fact, we're told we're all the sons of Abraham. Through faith in Christ Jesus. We are children of the covenant and the promise. Because God sent his son Jesus to be treated like those animals. On our behalf. And on Abram's behalf. If I do not do what I promise. I will do to myself what I do to these animals. God places his own name on the line. For the redemption of the nations. If either of us breaks this covenant, I will take the punishment. And he did. The covenant is kept by the blood of Jesus. So as this passage ends, there's this promise of land. It's a promise. It's there. It's clear. And it is their land. It's coming to the Jews. And it's also a mistake to focus on the land. It's a shadow of something else God is going to do. The land is theirs. It's promised by God. It's promised by God, but it's ultimately not the land they were looking for. Let's jump ahead to Hebrews. By faith, Abram, he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He's not looking for this land. He's looking for another city. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. He was seeking another land. Well, what is this land? As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. See, it's this city where where God's people live in His presence. And that's the city 
we long for. Now we believe, longing to know. God, am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be okay? Is this circumstance going to work out? And, and what we know is that God will keep His promise and God will accomplish His purpose. But here we have no lasting city. That's a really good thing to remember. We have a beautiful process in this land called America that we're going to walk through over the next year. And it's a good process of democracy. It's a value process uh, or a, a valuable process of democracy. And at the same time, there's always this danger that we put our hope in this process. And we want to be good citizens here, knowing ultimately, though, that we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come. The city that Abram was looking for is the city that we look for, the one Jesus has gone to prepare for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that faith is credited as righteousness for all those who believe. And God, I pray for some in this room today that you would bring them to belief. For those of us, God, who... Call ourselves yours, Father, would you bring us to belief? And God, we confess that we look forward to this city. You're the architect and the builder of it. It's a heavenly city, and God, we long to be there. Father, not ultimately because of pearly gates or gold streets, but because you are there, and we long to be with you. That's our confession in Jesus' name. Amen.